0: Welcome back to the Gentle Counselor Podcast. My name is Crystal, and I support mums through their inner healing and parenting journeys. For those of you listening right now, this episode is a little bit different, because back in October of 2021, it was World Mental Health Day, and I had some wonderful friends join me over three days to talk all about mental health and motherhood at the Aussie Mums Mental Health Virtual Event. I hope you enjoyed these conversations which were recorded live at the summit. I'm also thrilled to let you know that we will be returning in 2022 and plan on making it even bigger and better. It may or may not involve a retreat. (laughs) Wherever you are right now, I hope these episodes find you when you truly need it. I would love to hear your feedback on these chats. So make sure you're connected with me on social media at The Gentle Counselor. If you'd like to receive an email once a month that is full of freebies, parenting tips, links to podcast episodes, beautiful affirmation screensavers and other goodies, make sure you are signed up to my email list. I hope you enjoy this chat. Hello everyone and welcome to day two of the Aussie Mums Mental Health Virtual Event. Thank you so much for coming back and joining us again today. I hope that you've got your hot coffee with you and that you're not being disturbed or, you know, if there's little kids around, that's totally <laughs> fine as well. We're all mums here. As you can see,
1: <laughs>
0: we've got a very extra special guest today who might be very chatty and that's totally fine. He also has things to say. <laughs> so. If you are joining us live, please let us know in the comments. Say hello. Let us know you're here. And if you're watching this as a replay, just still pretend like you're watching with us live because we will be coming back to all of our posts to make sure that we're answering any questions that you have or just chatting with you. Now, today I am firstly joined by Jamie from This Is What I Doula. And we're going to be talking all about birth and postpartum mental health. Yay. So welcome, Jamie. Hi. Did you want to start off by telling us a bit about what you do and why you do it?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Jamie. Um, I have two boys, uh, four, and uh, Logan here is almost seven months old, um, which has just flown. Um, and I also have two older stepdaughters as well. Um, my background is actually in marketing. Um, yeah, so very different to what I'm doing now. <laughs>
0: probably helpful for a business though. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, so I got into doula work after I had my first son, um, Maverick. So um, I had um, a pretty bad experience in my first birth, not a true, I wouldn't describe it as a traumatic experience, but it was just, um, I wasn't informed. I wasn't listened to, my body wasn't trusted. Mm. Um, So, and I kind of felt like I didn't just, like, straight, like, get over it straight away. Um, And so, like, something was kind of lingering. And at the last minute I got my placenta encapsulated and the amazing woman who did my placenta and also did this placenta, um, she is a doula. And I was like, what is this word? Like, what is this? So I was literally in the hospital bed um, the day after having him and I was Googling, like, what is a doula? (laughs) And then I read it, like I read it, and I was like, "Yes, like this is what this is what I needed." Like I needed somebody to help me get informed. Like my husband was amazing. Like both births, he was so supportive, and he was just like, "Whatever you want to do, like that's what we're going to do," um, and super supportive um, during labor and birth. But we didn't really know much about Mm -hmm. what our options were or what our rights were. So I really needed a doula. And I was like, okay, this is what I have to do. Like, this is what I have to do for other people. Um, so, um, I started studying to become a doula when he was three months old. Wow. Um, and basically, I've been doing that ever since. Um, and uh, I'm, I also teach the Hypno Birthing Australia program. And I got into that a little bit later because I kind of saw that there was such a gap in um, education for mums and partners um with the hospital antenatal programs um yeah. and just generalized you know stuff that you see on facebook <laughs> mums <Yep. Fox>. yes <laughs> um so yeah i got into that and just the two combined has just the the transformations that i've seen um mm. from mums who have been traumatized in the past or even first time mums mm. um it's just the best thing in the world <laughs> so yeah, yeah really making a difference and it's so important
0: um the experience that you have and it can go either way right we can't control it we can't plan it but we can do our best to have all the information understand all the risks understand like you're saying our rights and I know I've learned a lot just from our chats together and from following you on social media it it's just all these things that you didn't realize that are actually really problematic and that no one's talking about. So I like that we're starting to kind of highlight our rights in the birth space. I think it's really important. So let's talk a bit about what's happening for women in the maternity system at the moment.
1: Um, Okay so Australia-wide really um, I'm in New South Wales and I know you're in Queensland but really Australia-wide it's not looking very good for us. Mm. Um, There is so much trauma going on so one in three women will leave birth with birth trauma um, and one in 10 will be diagnosed with PTSD from their birth Mm. um one in 10 dads will also suffer um birth trauma as well so or birth partners so I shouldn't just say dads birth partners um will also suffer PTSD from seeing what their partner has Mm. has gone through um and Everybody always asks me, well, you know, maybe that's because their expectations were too high or uh, it's because their birth didn't go to plan so we shouldn't have birth plans. And that's the kind of feedback that we tend to get until um, Millie Ford, so she, um, she reported on some research that two-thirds of those uh, women that suffer birth trauma or PTSD actually say it's because how th- it was because of how they were treated yeah. during birth how they were spoken to yeah. so it wasn't it wasn't how the baby was born it wasn't i had a c-section so it was a traumatic birth mm. because you can absolutely have c-sections that are not traumatic um it was because of how they were treated in the hospital system so um this is a like multiple a day story that i get um literally before i logged on here a friend of mine messaged me and said that her obstetrician told her that she should be thankful that she has a healthy baby mm. so basically doesn't matter about your trauma doesn't it matter so about dismissive. how you feel? super dismissive and this is not people um try to i guess rationalize it with themselves and say oh it's rare it's a rare occurrence mm. It's not rare mm. it is so much rarer to have you know, this positive, amazing experience in the hospital system um, than what it is to be disappointed mm. or traumatized by it. So I'm really not surprised about
0: what you were saying with the statistics and about how it's because of how people will, were handled during the times, because that's what trauma is. Yep. I think I was talking to someone, um, I think I had mentioned this yesterday, that trauma doesn't necessarily happen from the event. It happens with you're traumatized depending on how you were or were not supported through it basically that's how trauma works and so that makes complete sense to me yep it's so upsetting like my heart just breaks thinking of all the people out there that are just having these people just being dismissive of them saying things like you should just be grateful you have a healthy baby or whatever it might be and it's really frustrating and they're just uncomfortable with it too like i i can see now how it's actually just so many people are triggered like they're uncomfortable with anyone being uncomfortable so they try to throw that po- positive toxic you yeah. knowness onto it yeah. but yeah we it needs to change it's like so, like so many people give birth every day yep like this isn't just like a once off random every now and then
1: it's it's happening all the time and so much of it is also um fear mongering um, especially to people that don't know any better and it's not our fault like I didn't know any better like Mm -hmm. I you know you go in and you have you put your complete trust and faith um, into your care provider but we really have to start taking onus of some of that responsibility Mm -hmm. all of that responsibility because we're the ones that have to live with it after Mm -hmm. they don't Um, and the fear mongering that's going on I have another friend at the moment um, who her obstetrician the other day said to her, you're asking for a stillbirth. Who says that? That is who says that to a mother who's 39 weeks pregnant with an IVF baby. Mm -hmm. Like who, who says that, but this is what's going on. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's hard because the trauma is dismissed so often you even see You know, when um, there's news articles or anything posted online about how somebody's speaking out about birth trauma, the comment section is filled Mm -hmm. with mostly women that are saying you should be thankful that you have a healthy baby. So too bad if I have suicidal thoughts or homicidal thoughts Mm. because of the trauma I've suffered, as long as the baby's alive, that's all that matters. Yeah, because we don't matter,
0: right? Yeah. Women, you know, birthing women don't matter.
1: Yep, especially once the baby's out of
0: you. Yeah. So like, so yeah. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. I know we could rant about this
1: like all day. <laughs> so what can we do about it? Yeah, so this is the important bit. Especially if there's pregnant women watching, you know, what yes. can we actually Absolutely. do about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So number one, inform yourself. Do not trust that everybody has your best interest at heart, even if they do. And there are some amazing midwives and some amazing obstetricians who absolutely do have your best interests at heart, but don't rely on that. Um, make sure that you're doing an independent childbirth education, whether it be hypnobirthing, whether it be birth, anything that is independent from the hospital system. Because if you think about it, doing an antenatal class at the hospital they're going to tell you the things that they want you to know Um, they're not going to tell you the entire span of all of your options Mm. Um, so an independent childbirth education class is key for you and your partner because which leads me to number three having a supportive and informed birth partner whether that be um, the father of the baby whether it be um, your mom your sister a doula somebody that needs to be informed about all of the things that you want um, in your birth plan um, and to have a set birth plan. And it doesn't mean that has to be like a checklist that, you know, you have to check all these things off for it to be an amazing birth. The process of writing your birth plan is what the powerful part is. It's knowing what your options are, knowing that, okay, um, if, if I do need to be, you know, you don't want to be induced, but then for some reason, and a true medical um, experience comes up and that's not, you know, you have a big baby or, um, you know, you weigh too much. That's they're not medical reasons, but if there's a true medical reason that you do need to be induced, you know, your options, you know that you don't want to start off with syntocinin, you know that you want to start off with um, a stretch and sweep or something that's less invasive. Um, So that's what the power of the birth plan is, is to make sure that you know all of your options and having your birth partner on board with that. And the reasoning behind each one of your choices is absolutely key because in the moment, you're unable to make those decisions for yourself. A lot of the time, Mm. you're in a different world, right? You're in a different part of your brain. You need the person that is with you to be on board with that birth plan. Um, And if they're not, find a new birth partner. It is absolutely essential that the person that you have in your birth space is an advocate for you. Um, So that, (laughs) um, have a look at the Australian Medical Association's um, Maternal Decision-Making Guidelines. Um, So I can pop a link to that I'll be able to pop a link to that. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be perfect, yeah. Yeah. I can pop a link to that um, in the the Facebook group um, under this video. So basically um, there's guidelines for your care provider that they must abide by. Um, So, you know, just for example, one of them, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but basically they need to support every single one of your decisions, whether they agree with it or not. If they can't, it is their responsibility to find somebody who can. So, you know you, you know, you could be asking for the most outlandish thing, but they're there to support you and your decisions um, without coercion, without manipulation, without fear-mongering. So that's a really good document just to have on hand to know what their obligations are to you. Choosing your care provider carefully. So whether you're going to go with a private midwife, whether you're going to go with, um, you know, the midwifery, uh, the caseload program, um, whether you go with uh, just you know the regular hospital midwives, whether you go with an obstetrician, um, or whether you go with no care provider at all, because we often forget that that's an option as well. Make sure that you're doing your research and asking the questions to that care provider, asking them what is their birth philosophy. What do they feel about physiological birth? What are their rates of physiological birth? If this is what you're wanting, Um, you know, for a private midwife, what is your transfer rate? You know, how often are you transferring from home to hospital? There's a fantastic document also, which I'll link, which is the mothers and babies um, document, which is nationwide. Um, They independently look at each state. So each one looks a little bit different. Um, but basically they look at each hospital and they tell you the rate of episiotomy, the rate of C-section, the rate of induction, the rate of tearing, all of these different things. So that you can go and inform yourself and say, oh, okay, my hospital has an 80% C-section rate. Yeah, wow. That?
0: Yeah, that would be so helpful. I, I like yeah. I've never heard of these things that you're mentioning. So I'm so excited to find the links after and have a look myself because yeah like that's actually truly informing yourself, right? Like you've actually got the numbers there to support yeah. you. And I really love the advice about actually asking whoever you're seeing, what is your birth philosophy? That's something that I didn't even think to do because you just go in
1: trusting, like you just assume. And we go in with this patient mentality, right? Mm. But really you're the customer.
0: Like yeah. you're not, yeah.
1: you know, you're, you're not a patient, you're not ill. Mm. Um, you're going in as a customer True. and you get to decide who is supporting you. Hmm. So, you know, try not to make decisions on what other people have told you, like, you know, I hired this really great obstetrician and I had a really good birth. So I think you should too. And then you just, you know, put a deposit down and without even speaking to them, Hmm. because we all have different wants and needs during our pregnancy and birth. Um, So to do that, it's not going to be helpful for you you might very well have this you know you might meet them and say yeah okay we're totally on the on the same page mm-hmm. um but always meet them and always ask those questions like you're interviewing them because this is one of you know some people would say the most important day of your life and it does travel with you forever how you are treated in your birth does not just stop on the day of your birth you feel that forever. Mm. And I've spoken to women um in their 70s and their 80s that break down, it actually makes me quite emotional. Mm. <laughs> but they they actually break down talking to me about their birth because they've they've actually never done it before. Yeah. They've never spoken to somebody about their birth before because they've always been told you have healthy children, be thankful. Mm. Um so it does it does stay with you your entire life. So um making these decisions is so important for you and you like you're the most important person in the room Mm. of course we always want a healthy baby we're going to start with that is like the bare minimum is that you want a healthy baby yeah but you also want a healthy mom that's going to be able to raise the baby yes so you know these things are super important Mm. Um, so so looking at your birth options know that home birth is an option and know that home birth is statistically proven for low-risk women to be safer than a hospital birth. It's not for everyone. And if you don't feel safe at home, then it's not the right place to give birth. But know that it is an option. Um, I did speak about the birth plan. Make sure that your birth partner is fully on board with that birth plan. And if they're not, find a new birth partner. Um, they need to be your advocate in that situation. Um. And yeah, make sure that you have those discussions with your birth partner. Say, this is what's really important to me. Show them, you know, show them the statistics. Mm. Show them how important your birth is to you, whether it be, you know, a natural vaginal birth or whether it be an elective cesarean. Show them why you're making the decision so that they, if they're questioned about it, they can know the answer. They can answer those yeah. easily. easily. I do agree
0: that out of all the advice, I think that is the most important one. And I can also speak to that from personal experience because there is no way I was able to talk during either of my labors. And I had long three-day labors with both of mine as well. So I was not only in the zone like definitely going inward very primal very like concentrated like which is great that's what i wanted to be like in the zone um but also exhausted i could barely you know i could i didn't sleep for like three days um and having my husband there to advocate for me made such a big difference and i also was confident in his ability to do that because thankfully he is someone that can be assertive easily Um, and he knew exactly what we wanted so I I remember hearing him like during labor um because with my first I wanted a water birth and when I rocked up to hospital I was already like at a 10 so it was really great timing actually but the first thing they asked us was like what medication do you want and then I just remember him kind of scoffing because he probably didn't think that was going to happen but we had talked about it and he was like no we're good thanks (laughs) You've done this for three days yeah yeah (laughs) And then with my second um it was actually my midwife that really helped because we had a different birth experience with my waters breaking early and then contractions not starting and then um our whole thing was as long as baby's okay mom's okay like don't touch us but yes. then it got to the point where I wasn't okay. Like I was crying. I was over it. I was annoyed that I was having another three-day labor. And because everyone had told me that your second is faster. Not for me. Not oh, My body's me fun. Either. <laughs> me either. So, so that's yeah. what makes a big difference. Like you were saying, having someone with you through that. If I did not have that midwife and I had a male midwife, my birth experience I reckon would have been traumatic. It was only because of him supporting me through it, because I kept saying that I didn't want a C-section because um, that's just something I didn't want to do. Yeah. And he found all the other ways to support me. So I did have an epidural because I needed rest. Yeah. Funnily enough, like 30 minutes later, I knew I was pushing. So no rest happened anyway. Um, but I also had been informed enough, probably through people like you, Jamie, to know about, um, Like the risk of laying down flat and having your pelvic closed. So then I was very mindful of like raising my hips off. So even though I had the epidural, I was still able to birth what I was told to be a small to average baby, my actual big nine pound baby, and no tearing, no stitches needed. And so I it was after that that I was like, wow, this is what we've been talking about. Like this is what we're talking about with the Information being informed, having actual support of people around you can make such a big difference. Whereas with my first, I birthed her myself in the water. My my OB was late; he missed it. Um, but that was a fantastic experience for my first because that was exactly how I wanted it to be anyway, yes. with like the water birth and no intervention. So it's always good to talk about and reflect after. And I, have- I think even if you feel like you had a good birth, even if you know you didn't have what you wanted talk about it like it's really important to find safe people where you can be vulnerable and share everything with them because even now I still get a little bit shaky when I talk about it it's so interesting how the body works um for like years after I had my daughter my legs would like literally be bouncing shaking with I don't know what it was because I didn't feel traumatized it was just really weird body reactions. so that was also really eye-opening
1: to be like okay
0: that's
1: really interesting that physiological <laughs> to reaction. yeah yeah so um my my first was the same so I only had a five-hour labor with my first like from wow. first contraction like first contraction to birth was five wow. hours I was in the hospital for about three hours um but if I had have gone on any longer I absolutely believe it would have been traumatic mm. um only because of the care that I had and right. the midwife that I had just didn't believe me that i was pushing and Mm. like you know i first came in i didn't know i could decline vaginal examinations so i took i you know i had a vaginal examination she's like you're only two centimeters yeah only how fun is that to hear you've come in too early settle in and then i'm like crying saying well i need i need drugs then (laughs) and i knew that i didn't want it and she's like well you know what you want And she's like, oh, you know, you can have morphine. And I'm like, is that a needle? And she's like, yes. And she's like, and I'm like, no. And then she's like, well, you can have an epidural. And I was like, I know that's a needle. And that's a no. And then my, and then Matt, my husband, he's like, Why don't you get in the bath? Like that's what you wanted. You wanted to get in the bath, blah, blah, blah. And then so we got in the bath and it was amazing. I felt like I was on like a high. I loved it so much. The birth, the water
0: birth, like getting in the tub is amazing. I they wouldn't let me do it with my second because of my waters breaking, the whole risk of infection reason. So that sucked. But then after talking about that with my husband,
1: I was like, why did anyone offer for me to go in the shower? Well, see, my waters were broken. Mm. oh and was, interesting yeah so they'd been broken since two o'clock that morning and my contractions didn't start until 7 30 and then I didn't get to the hospital until 10 mm-hmm. or something and yeah I got I got straight they just said mm-hmm. you know don't put any oils or anything in the bath which was right. fine. yeah um but yeah, and then my body started pushing and you know what it's like, like you can't stop it. It's you like don't need
0: to push, like your body is <laughs> like doing it for you. <laughs> your body,
1: Like my body just started pushing and I said to my husband, I'm like, the baby's coming, like you need to get someone. <laughs> and, then, and then she came in and she crossed her arms and she's like, you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt your baby if you keep pushing, you're not yes. ready to push. So then I'm crying again, saying I can't stop it. And then she's ripping me out of the bath. And wow. then by the, time, by the time I got to the bed, his head was basically out and then he was out in the next push. Um, so that's what I mean. Like it could have gone downhill very quickly. Yeah. Um, I felt that I felt myself tear when she was pulling me out of the bath mm. because his head was descending. It was everything mm. was stretching. Um, so, yeah, there was that. But then, you know, my second birth, I had a home birth and it was 27 hours mm. From like, and they were like five minutes apart, five no. 10 minutes apart for 27 hours. Mm. Um, and then I had prodromal labor before that for probably five or six days before. Um, and I, I still don't feel traumatized by that because I had, and yeah. I mean, halfway through that, he turned posterior and it was bad pain. It was bad pain in my back. Mm. Like, I, and I said multiple times that I thought I was going to die. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, my midwife who I had seen all the way through my pregnancy at home, she knew my mindset. She knew, you know, she knew what I wanted, which Mm. is so different to the first time, which my midwife had never met me before. Yeah. Yeah. She knew what I wanted. And she was saying to me, you're right. You know, you're, you're fine. I'm here. We're all here. We're going to meet this baby tonight. We're going to meet this baby tonight. And it was just, even though it was painful, unlike my first, which I wouldn't describe as painful, even though it was painful um, and I was so exhausted, as you said, because you just hadn't slept for all that mm. time, hadn't eaten. Mm. Um, I just felt so supported and loved by, yeah. my daughter, by my husband, by my midwife, by, you know, my older son, my stepdaughter, like they were all there. And it was just the best experience. Like just, it was just amazing um So yeah, it really isn't about how the baby's born or how long yes. it was or anything. It's about the people that are around you and how yes. you're being treated during that time. It's about how
0: much are you held and cared for yep. during that whole yep. process and yep. after. So let's and talk before. a bit about postpartum. Now yes. we know that um, postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety. It it seems almost like every second person I talk to can at least Share their thoughts, whether they were actually diagnosed with it, or them reflecting and thinking, maybe I did have that. So, what are your thoughts on this?
1: So, I had postnatal anxiety with my first, um, and I feel that that stemmed from once again the care that I had had in my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was, I had the um, nuchal translucency scan when you know I was twelve weeks. What everybody does, I mean, I didn't with this one, but I did with my first. Um, and uh it all came back with high risk like one in 20 for all three trisomies Mm. um and I saw a doctor that I'd never seen before because they they called me and they're like it's urgent come and pick up your scans you need to go to a doctor it was a Saturday went to the doctor by myself um and she basically just said um I can give you a referral for a termination today so Basically, the risk was so high that she would just send me to the hospital straight then to get an abortion, Um, even though this is not a diagnosis. It's a risk
0: Mm. category.
1: So they're just putting you into what risk. Um, And then she gave me a huge lecture on how selfish it would be to continue with the pregnancy and um, all of this rubbish, right? Um, I basically had to beg for a referral, to an obstetrician um genetic counselor who then said oh my god i can't believe that she said that to you you need to make a complaint which i did nothing ever came from it Mm. um had further testing there was nothing wrong with my baby he's absolutely perfectly healthy Um, but i feel that that is what triggered my postnatal anxiety um and i uh, to be honest with you i don't even know if this is possible but i feel like i still do with him yeah and he's poor so like he's at the park now with my stepdaughter who's almost 16 and in the back of my mind I'm like what if he gets hit by a car mm. what if this happens what if this happens like things that I know like, yeah. she's- like, like relentless a- intrusive thoughts yeah. yeah, yeah. um and I don't f- and it it's weird because I do have those feelings about him I don't have these feelings about Logan at that's all. so interesting because we haven't yeah. really had a chance to catch up like
0: because Jamie and I are friends like outside of all of this Um, because we've talked about our experiences with postpartum anxiety because I've had it as well but it's interesting because now that you're saying that I and I think about it I definitely had it with my first and I also feel like it never went away but now I'm starting to wonder if that's just been lingering or if having my second added to it I don't know if it added to it I think it's just always been there, yeah. and I wouldn't necessarily say I'm someone that's had anxiety or intrusive thoughts like all my life either. either. It was a very different thing experiencing it with your child. It's like literally you're you're holding them, and you're like you could just fall over. Yep. And like they're gone. Yep. Or Every even like now, with- like my husband's taking the kids out, and even as he's leaving, I'm like, Are you taking them swimming, like. Yeah make sure you're watching the whole time. He's like, I know how to take care of our children. I'm like, I know, know,
1: but you know, I get anxious. I just need you to like acknowledge it. (laughs) It really frustrates my husband. I'm like, as soon as he goes near the road, I'm like, Maverick, stop. And like, I get really worked up about it. And my husband's Mm. like, he's fine. He knows not to run onto the road. Like I'm right here. Mm. I'm like, I know, but I have these, you know, I'm thinking, what if there's a stray dog? What if there's a dog that comes and attacks him? Like all of these things that I know are so unlikely, but they're all, while I'm talking to you, these are the things that are going in the back of my head while he's not here. It's exhausting. It's, it's, it, it steals the joy out of motherhood. It's really
0: one of the things, because I don't think, unless you're watching this and you can relate because you're experiencing it, I don't think people understand that it's like literally a constant thing. So I get it a lot at night, um, especially when we've made the transition to the kids sleeping in their own bed or their own room. I find it so hard to go to sleep because I sleep better when they're near me and with me. So that's probably also what really helped me with co-sleeping and bed sharing. So I'm like, I yeah. I don't care because I know that they're safe. I'm not thinking someone's breaking into the window. I'm not thinking they've stopped breathing. It's I'm not thinking that they've somehow
1: suffocated themselves, like just the constant and, anxiety. And it's like, um, Mav has only just gone into his own bed, but with Matt, so mm-hmm. with my husband, so he's still co-sleeping in a separate room. And then I'm co-sleeping with Logan in my room and even though like Maverick is basically on top of me when he's sleeping with me I still sleep better with when he comes into my room at like four or five o'clock in the morning than when he slept in Mm. a separate room for the same reason but I feel like um, it's I mean it's so common postnatal depression postnatal anxiety and I absolutely it is a hundred percent real yes um, and it's, uh, I know because like I've suffered it and I suffer Mm, it, mm. but I also feel that a lot of the symptoms of postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety mirror depletion. So mirror not having enough vitamins, minerals, um, water in your diet, Mm. not eating enough, not sleeping enough, not being outside enough, um, not having all of these things. I feel definitely mirrors and also not having enough support postpartum yeah yeah mirrors yeah. those symptoms of um depression and of course yeah. if you're doing everything by yourself yeah. you're not going to feel good exactly and
0: when you just said it then like not enough support if you actually had people supporting you you would be being cared for you would yeah. have people making sure that you're eating and Absolutely. eating nourishing meals and you'd make sure like they would make sure that you're hydrated and that you're well rested because they would be there to support Absolutely. you make sure you're not exhausted because they can pick up On the other areas that you don't want to do when you had a baby, like they can do the housework and all the other boring things.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? The first, when I became pregnant this last time, the first thing before I even contacted my midwife, I booked a postnatal doula. I I, I I am like,
0: definitely that's going to be me next time around because I've realized the importance of postpartum care. And it just will alleviate so much pressure and also pressure on your relationship if you're in a partnership because the hardest time in my relationship has been when we've had our children with my husband and I Um, but I also am I also believe that on some level with people that suffer with postpartum um anxiety I do think there's something that's like makes sense to it I think it's not necessarily a bad thing and I I want to elaborate a little bit more and what I mean by that is I think it's a problem if it is interfering with your daily life like if it's actually stopping you from doing things or stopping you from leaving the house or stopping you from like ever separating like that's that's an issue um because you know it's like the whole bird flying from the nest sort of thing (laughs) like yes we are supposed to at some point separate from our children within reason Um, but what I think is normal about it is that first three years is so crucial in a child's development I think it makes sense that you feel that way because there's, it's like good anxiety, if you want to call yeah. it that. It's like, yeah, you're protecting him from running onto the road. He could run on the road. His yes. first, was he four or even younger, right? Like I actually had a scary moment with my three-year-old the other day who ran off from me. And he's never, ever, ever done that before. And so that was like a good wake-up call for me to be like, oh, okay, they can still have impulsive moments randomly, even if they've literally never had yeah. it their entire life. So I think on some level, having those anxious thoughts is kind of like preparing you. Um, cause it's not like we're thinking an asteroid's going to hit the earth. We're like, you know, a dog could run up. He could get hit by a car. They, yeah. My kids could drown in the pool if my husband's not watching them. Like these are yeah. all things that actually could happen. Yeah. And I also think there's a point in, if you're thinking about it, it's also you trying to have control of the situation because there's not a lot you can control. But if you're thinking about it, it's like you're preparing yourself or you're preparing the other people to be very aware that that is something that could happen.
1: So oh, I think sure. on some level, it makes sense that we have these and thoughts. It and also, it also makes sense because, um, like, I think that, and I've, I think we've spoken about this before as well, but how we feel pressured to leave our babies really Yes, I was good. just about to say that, yeah, yeah.
0: We, we shouldn't be separating. It's normal to want to be together, like co-sleeping and bed sharing. Those are protective factors.
1: And it's also normal for you to not want to go to a wedding when your baby's six weeks old and with someone else. It's not, you know, I'm in a um, due date group and um, there's a few women that are saying, you know, I have to go to a wedding and babies aren't allowed, which is, you know, another story, but babies aren't allowed. So they have to stay um, with my parents and we've never been apart before and we're breastfeeding and they don't take a bottle. um, But I know I need to take care of myself but I really don't want to leave them is that taking care of yourself though mm. is take is, is taking your you know is that taking care of yourself to go to an event that you don't really want to go to but you feel like you should to mm. get back to normal and the whole time you're worrying about your baby and whether they're eating or not yeah. I don't see that as taking care of myself mm. and like even my four, my four-year-old has never had one night away from me because it's not good for me Mm, mm. i would worry the entire time and it wouldn't be good for him either he wouldn't he just wouldn't be comfortable with it yeah um so i feel like there's so much societal pressure to to be away from your baby almost immediately to try Mm. to get back to some kind of normalcy what are you getting back to there you cannot be the same person person. you are not (laughs) the same person you will never become you will never be the same person You can't be going from maiden to mother is a transition that you will never go back to never. So it's just, it's impossible to get back to this. And then I think that that also puts, you know, that puts you in some kind of um, state where you're like, I should be still doing this and I should be getting back to this. And my husband wants the house clean and he wants meals on the table at five o'clock. And how am I supposed to do that? If the baby won't sleep off me and you know, all of this stuff, um, And yeah, it's just it's there's so much pressure, but all of these things combined, I feel like, should be taken into consideration when we talk about postnatal depression Mm -hmm. because it's just. Sorry, can you hear that? Yeah, (laughs) it's alright.
0: Um, I was just gonna add to what you're saying is that I'm doing a chat Sunday night, um, titled "The Unnoticed Grief and Loss," and talking about that change in motherhood. Um, it's going to be part of what I'm exploring as well because there is a sense of loss in there like you're kind of grieving your life that you had before children Um, you know some of us can ruminate over that we can really like think about who we were we can feel really disconnected from that and that's a part of that shift in motherhood that we go through as well um, it definitely
1: is. Yeah. yeah, it definitely is. I just, uh, while we're talking about post- postpartum, I just want to mention there's a really good book called um, The Postnatal Depletion Cure mm-hmm. um, by Oscar Sorel. Uh, I don't really know how to spell it, uh, how to say his name, but it's S-E-R-R-A-L-L-A-C-H. Um, And it talks about how, um, about that mirroring of Mm. depletion and postnatal depression and anxiety and how we can kind of help ourselves feel a little bit better postnatally. Yeah. Um, And just also to have not only a birth plan, but a postnatal plan as well. Yes. Get your village together. And I promise you, people want to help you. They just don't know how to. And it was really difficult for me to ask for help. I didn't with my first and, you know, people kept saying, if you need anything, let me know. If you need anything, let me know. But I never did because I felt like I could do it all. And this time I have asked for so much help. I had so much food delivered to me. I'm still eating some of it. It's still in the freezer and he's seven months old. Mm. um I had so much food we didn't have to cook for months and it was amazing I had people dropping off snacks I had people you know um dropping off bread and milk I had and all of they were more than happy to do it Mm. and in my in my mother blessing which is kind of like a baby shower but not um where we're kind of celebrating the mom before she gives birth um my uh the lady who facilitated it Claire Heenan um she put through um a postnatal basically a sheet that was passed around with a whole list of things that people could put their names next to if they were happy to do those things yes
0: such a great idea
1: yeah so it was amazing well and- I was thinking because when yeah. people ask you
0: well intentioned let me know if you need anything that's really adding to like your mental load because then you yes have to throw the effort of thinking for them yes. so it's so if anyone's watching this and they're wondering how to support someone postpartum, you are better off to have that approach of, I'm going to make you some denim. Can I drop it off Sunday night? Like yeah. instead, like say what you're going to plan to do. And then still respectfully check that the time yes. or whatever you're coming by is fine. But yeah. I know now whenever I go to anyone's house that has kids, I'm like, where's the vacuum? Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. like check the sink. And it's like I little mean, things.
1: There were things like my, my, um, my doula would, when she would come, she would change my sheets. Yeah, And oh like yeah, yeah. amazing it, getting it. Everybody knows getting into a bed with fresh sheets is like mm. the best feeling in the world, especially when you're breastfeeding and you're leaking milk. Everywhere. Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, yeah. Sweating. yeah, all the towels you're and like the leakage. <laughs> yeah. And like you've got that postnatal like sweating, like really hot thing. Um, So, yeah, having your sheets changed or, you know, I had people that had signed up to um, like running me a bath and taking Logan, you know, just in the house Mm. um, so that I could have a bath by myself or he could come in the bath with me. Um, You know, there were some things on the list like bring a meal or send send a care package or um, help like spend time with Maverick. Mm. Spend time with Maverick while I was, you know, napping with Logan or you know, doing things like that. And it was it was just, I felt so loved and so mm-hmm. supported, even from people that I had never met. People in, um, you know, the home birth community, they do a meal train and people that I had never met were dropping off food at my door wow. and cards and flowers. Like it makes me super emotional now, like thinking about these women that I had yeah, never met before. That's so lovely. Supporting me in that way. And it was just... Just the best feeling. And I feel like I enjoyed my postpartum, my fourth trimester with him so much more mm. um, than I did with Maverick. Um, yeah, it was just, it was amazing. And so, beautiful. So, so having that postpartum plan is just as important as the birth plan, because even if yeah. your birth goes amazingly, you feel so empowered by it. When you get home, mm. if everything just turns to shit, then mm it's you know you're still going to spiral yeah um, yeah yeah so it's it's so important both are equally as important as yeah. each. yeah that's so great thank you so much for talking with us today jamie and you've just
0: shared like a wealth of knowledge i really hope everyone watches this because it's wildly important whether you are currently pregnant whether you're thinking of having more kids or if you're a professional like us who works with women i think this is a really great chat to watch so please make sure that you are sharing with your friends, inviting them to the group to watch all of these, because these will stay up as replays. Um,
1: and as we end, Jamie, can you tell everyone um, where they can find you? Yep. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram, mostly Instagram these days. Um, Facebook's a bit toxic. Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook and Instagram. This is what I doula. Um, I also uh, do the social media for home birth, New South Wales. So you can find me on there. Um, I, you know, I do the Hypnobirthing Australia program via Zoom or in person. Um, as I told, um, I told you earlier, Crystal, I'm actually moving. So I currently live in Sydney. I'm moving to Coffs Harbour, which I actually haven't announced yet. So surprise. But um, so I'm moving there uh, at the end of the year or early next year. So I'll put some of those things on my social media as well. Um and I do like Zoom or virtual birth planning sessions, postpartum planning sessions, um, birth debriefs, anything you really want to chat about. Oh, that's so cool. Um, I didn't realize you were doing that extra postpartum stuff. That's awesome to know. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I do where you can find me, my email address. This is what I do, at right, gmail.com. But it's probably easier to just check me out on Instagram because I'm there all the time. Yeah, that's how, that's how I'm now. Too. I'm like, just DM me. It's easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah. so much again, Jamie. Right, thanks, Crystal.